Welcome to Radical Strategies, my good friend, Larry Chen. And the point of Radical Strategies, hello. hello. The point of Radical Strategies is to look at career development. Um, you know, both you and me, we figured out how to have creative careers. And um, it's not necessarily that straightforward. You know, there's no manual for it. I don't think they teach you in school. So I'm talking to my friends who've managed to figure out how to have a full-time career. Some of them are doing reasonably well, but all of them are at least making a living of some kind with uh, their creativity, their artistry, their craft. So I want to just break this down and, and see uh, what we can learn. What can we learn uh, in examining your career, how you got started, what are some mistakes you made, what advice you have to give, all that stuff. So that's what we're going to cover off today. Cool. Yeah, it's it's a uh, I like that idea. Yeah. Um it's pretty crazy. I mean, because when you think about, for example, your career, it's just so many steps, so many steps and so many mm -hmm. hours and flights and just everything that you've gone through and yeah. what I've gone through to get to this point. I think it's really hard to explain a lot of this stuff, but I mean, there's things that we can talk about and there's things that we can maybe say to inspire these people mm -hmm. that are listening. Yeah. But if they just don't have the willpower to do it, then it's a lost cause. That's very true. But we should That's talk it. about that. I, I definitely yeah. want to talk about character traits and um, have people understand like just what it takes to to get a professional career going, especially at the beginning. Um, but let's get to that in a second. First, Larry, why don't we just talk about who you are and what you do for a living? Mr. Larry Chen, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I am a photographer. I'm a car culture an automotive photographer. I take pictures of cars. I've traveled all over the world. I've been shooting for 17 years. And I'm lucky enough to do this for a living. I love cars. It's my passion. My love for cars actually started before my love for photography. Mm. And I think my love for driving, too, is, is something that I had even before I really seriously picked up a camera. This well, is... Uh, my dream job and I love doing it every single day. Uh, I have a very good group of guys that work with me to push hard for one goal, which is essentially to shoot really cool things all the time. Well, I want to break down Larry Chen and uh, we can look at what you're doing now, right? You've got uh, Hoonigan Autofocus and, and you're presenting and you're talking to the camera as well. And people can go on a journey with you as you're you're traveling and doing shoots, et cetera. And then mm -hmm. you've got your commercial output and all that stuff, and then more editorial stuff that you've done over the years. Um, but I'm curious to see if this spark existed in you a long time ago. And so we can look at you now and uh, see what that's about. But I'm I'm curious to compare that to Larry Chen, eight years old, ten years old. Uh, what were you like then? Were you a creative kid? Mm, I, I liked to draw mm -hmm. a lot. I liked airplanes. I liked making model airplanes. And I loved Legos a lot. And it's kind of interesting to see 
how it's kind of come full circle right now. My kids love Legos. We love going to Legoland. They love building and they love creating their own things. Yeah, they follow the instructions, but the most fun thing for them is to build something from scratch. And I really pushed so hard as a kid when I, I, I pushed hard to make things look like they function properly, mm-hmm. proportional, and also color coordinated. The thing that I hated the most was when I played with other kids back then, when we all played with Legos, they didn't care what color it ended up being. Right. And it was just like a crazy mishmash of colors. And also on top of that, like if they were to build an airplane, a lot of times I look at it, I'm like, that's not going to fly. There's no way, yeah. you know, it, 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 it was really important to me to make it look like it mechanically worked also. So I guess that's, that's, you know, why I took my fun seriously in that way. Yeah. And then even just a little bit after that, when I was uh, in you know early teenager and going into my teens, I loved remote control cars. I still love remote control cars. And it's again, it's come full circle. Now my son is really big into RC cars, but he's only four years old mm. and he's so good. He's so much better than I was when I first got into the hobby. Part of it is because of course, technology is so good, but I took remote control cars so seriously and I loved it so much. And I played very hard, even to the point where I worked at a hobby store just to be able to get closer to these things. And uh, I think I kind of do that with everything that I get into photography, mm-hmm. cars, cameras, I don't know, everything. So if you were to look at what were the main character traits that you had, say, as a young adult, as you were starting your career out, and those character traits that allowed you to find a way to make a living from your creative skill, would you say that those character traits were also instilled in you young? And that it sounds like it, uh, if you were willing to go to the length to, say, work in a, a hobby shop just to keep going with your career, like how would you, could you give us a breakdown as the, your character traits? Um, as they existed then, especially the ones that were you found useful to you as you progressed? That's kind of tough to say. I, I, it's kind of interesting because I, one of the things that I always mention to people, especially mm-hmm. now when I meet them, I tell them I was very introverted as a kid and yeah. I was very quiet. I was, was not very outgoing. And I, I feel like I didn't really find my groove until I started meeting and uh, just being around people that were just as passionate Mm -hmm. about cars, about photography, about this culture. Before that, it was just so hard for whatever reason for me to kind of break out of my shell. Yeah. I don't know character traits. It's it's kind of tough to say. I, I've definitely changed as a person, even just when I first started shooting. When I first started shooting, I feel like I was pretty timid and I was afraid to reach out to people, ask people for mm-hmm. permission. It, it just took a while, but once it started, the ball started rolling, and I realized that I could get that. Uh, even before social media was a thing, right? That's I started doing my heavy shooting in 2004, five and six around then. 
around that time, all I was looking for is confirmation that what I was doing was good and it was on the right path. So mm-hmm. if I would post on forums, if I would share my photos or videos with my peers, it was so uh, game changing and it was so pleasant for me to hear the feedback. And a lot of times, lucky for me, it was good feedback because for whatever reason, I put in the hours, I put in the research, I put in the time to create content that was good enough for these people. Uh, just, just a view. You know, I wasn't even making any money back then. It was just purely for my own pleasure. It was purely for my own enjoyment because I just loved cars and I figured this is a good way to enjoy this culture. What take, about work ethic? Would you work s- ethic? Uh, you've always been known as someone with a very strong work ethic. Um, you know, uh, for those uh, listening, Larry and I have worked together at, at different times in our careers. And um, at one point in time, um, I was managing a group of, of photographers and you were part of that team. And it was definitely very noticeable <laughs> when you came in, uh, just what level of work ethic you had, that level of focus. How important, uh, how important would you say that is? I think a lot of that comes from, well, just to give you an example, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. I barely graduated um, elementary school, middle school, and high school. Barely, barely. Like, just by a, a, just the thinnest of margins. Mm. I was just terrible at school. Be- part of it is because I was just so bored and I wasn't passionate about what they were teaching until I, I, I started getting more passionate around senior year of high school, one, when I was able to apply the skills that I learned, right? So the mm. skills that I had at the time, I was a good photographer for, for my age, and I, would, I loved computers. I loved messing with computers. And for those of you guys who know me now, I'm a PC user. I've always used PC, and I always will use PCs. I, uh, um, you know, have Android phones. I, I'm, I just like to go against the grain in that aspect. <laughs> but it was just th- some tools that I knew that I could actually apply for uh, my schoolwork or for the programs that I was in. And, and then I was like, okay, well, now this is, I, it feels good because it feels like I could push and use something that I'm good at and really outshine a lot of these other people. And essentially... That's what I've been able to do when I pick up a camera. I'm, I, I'm the first one to admit that I'm not the most talented photographer, videographer, host, or anything like that mm-hmm. when it comes to what I do with car culture. I do have to say, though, I am more willing to put in more time, which means go earlier, stay later, and all of that. You know, it, it really is about the hours. Mm-hmm. You hear about the when you um, want to become an expert at thing, something, you have to put in 10,000 of your yeah. hours, right? Yeah. Well, I, I can't even tell you how many hours I've put into this photography. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. Um, when you were thinking about picking that camera up, um, you also had a career doing paparazzi work as well, which is interesting. Um Correct. So what was going through your head uh, when you got your first camera and when you were considering 
having a go of making money from using this tool, the camera. Yeah, at the time, um, I was doing so many odd jobs. I was doing everything. How old were you? Son. At the time, I was in my early 20s. And I was just doing everything I possibly could to pay for my hobby or my my, my um, passion. Mm-hmm. I, I was doing everything. I was fixing computers. I was doing house calls to fix computers. I was selling computers. I was um, doing something with uh, um, trading like food goods. Mm-hmm. I was doing so much stuff. I, I could tell you how many computers I could fit in an S13 or how many pounds of nuts I could fit in like a S13 hatchback. <laughs> it's a lot. I could fit, <laughs> I think, almost 400 pounds of wow. pecans in an in a S13 hatchback. But at the time, you know, I, I just did everything I could. And at Formula Drift, I met a paparazzi and they kind of enticed me to join their team. And, mm-hmm. and they just told me, hey, this is something you could do for money. I needed money so bad. And part of it is because I wanted to travel. You know, I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to go to Japan. I wanted to follow the Formula Drift series. And to do that, I had to find some way to pay for it. And one of the things that I did was paparazzi and I did it for two years. And I joined a team, which we worked for this agency. And eventually the agency got bought out by Getty Images. So it was a legitimate news agency. Even when I was working with uh, the company, we were still midway through uh, the Getty bought it. So I was working along with a lot of other Getty photographers. And, you know, we were just chasing the story. It was just the normal story that everybody wanted to know about in the world, which is, it was just that prime time Mm -hmm. for those of people who remember it was like the whole trio, right? You got Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, and Lindsay Lohan. At the time, they were the, they were so hot, and there was no social media. Tabloids were still a big thing, and we were just doing the grind. You know, we were just doing the hard work. I, I have photos of pretty much every major celebrity, including Michael Jackson. And uh, yeah, it, it was. I slept well at night. You know, I don't feel bad for for what I was doing, but again, we were doing what people wanted to consume. And yeah. I was shooting alongside, honestly, some of the best photographers in the news industry. And we were all out there, you know, chasing the stories. So how long did it take before you were able to stop the side hustles and the photography itself was paying the bills and allowing you to exist? Um, I, I remember there was this, pretty specific moment where I told myself I couldn't do all these other things and Mm -hmm. shoot cars. And I think it was around 2009 where I I just thought to myself, like, I have to go headfirst into this thing. I have to push hard. And the only way I'm going to be able to do this as a living is if I just put every single waking moment into this, which is what I did. So 
in 2009, 2010, around that time, I was, I made friends in the Formula Drift Series. I helped some of the teams trailer their cars across country. Mm. I actually drove the trucks uh, because I couldn't afford the plane tickets. I couldn't afford hotel rooms. So I would sleep on the hotel rooms. Uh, I would sleep on the floor. Um, e- even going to the SEMA show, I would sleep on people's floors because I couldn't afford the hotel rooms. Mm. And so around that time, I just did everything I could. And I set a goal, a very realistic goal. First, it was, hey, I wanted to go through a whole year of shooting and somehow break even Yeah. in terms of my travel, in terms of my um, just everything. And if I broke even, that means I just would lose a little less money from my savings. And then the next year, my goal was to, hey, I'm going to try through the whole year, entire year of shooting, make $10,000. And then I was able to do that. I think in 2010, I was able to do that. Hmm. And then after that, that's when I worked with you. That's when I got picked up on on a team to to actually, I didn't actually have to worry so much about my day-to-day living. Mm-hmm. That's when I could really focus on my craft, which is taking pictures of cars, car culture, racing, all of that. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. Can you describe the different phases that happen after that? I'm particularly interested in the transition that you took when you started talking to the camera, looking into the camera and talking. And you, you could say that you became a content creator as well, right? You started a YouTube channel and it's doing quite well. So talk yeah. us through that transition of you're behind the lens, you're shooting, you've got a couple of people that work for you. And then you start thinking about taking things to, to the next level. It all started when... I've been working with, when again, I've been working with Ken Block and that whole crew for many years. Mm -hmm. I started working with them in 2011, 2012, uh, when when we were doing some editorial stuff with them. And then they took notice that I was able to photograph them just in a different way. And they really Mm -hmm. kind of just brought me on board and really took me in as one of their own. And I just started doing more and more and more stuff with Ken and the crew to a certain point when they actually started doing daily blogs and daily content. Uh, In my mind and in everybody else's mind, especially I know in your mind, that that sort of content was not possible, right? I, I remember you were telling me that even, I think you probably even told Ken that he ruined internet videos forever right because (laughs) he set the bar so high yeah but it it was very hard to even get a a portion of that by doing daily videos daily photos or daily stories um but somehow they were able to do it i don't know how it was just a good recipe and uh the car culture world it it needed it for whatever reason so they started their daily content and then somehow or another, they started inviting me to be a part of it. Uh, maybe because they kind of just saw that, Hey, I'm, I'm always shooting something. I'm always telling some kind of story. Mm-hmm. 
through my lens. I'm always around cool cars. They wanted me to be part of their series. So I would always do some guest appearances. And then finally a slot opened up where they actually have a anything goes episode on Fridays mm-hmm. and uh, they reach out to me and they're like, Hey, if you actually film something and if you film yourself and you start submitting to this Friday episode, yeah, we'll get you in. And then, you know, you can at least help uh, the cause. This was all this time. All of this stuff was unpaid at the time. Uh, I was just doing it out of the passion for just being on camera and being a part of the group and being a part of this greater project. Well, because I was kind of given that avenue or that voice, I really took it upon myself to push hard as always, you know, when I sink my teeth into something, Mm -hmm. it turned to a point where it was almost every Friday, I would just have that segment. Yeah. And it was weird if I wasn't on that segment anymore. Mm -hmm. But at the, there was a, a certain period of time where Hoonigan was shooting so much, they couldn't fit everything onto their daily episodes, even though they were coming out with, I think at the time it was six episodes a week. Yeah. So then they started another channel. They called it the bonus channel, which is what anything that didn't make it to the main channel would get onto the bonus channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I started submitting things to the bonus channel and then there was one point in time i think it was for months where every single episode was my episode yeah it was just essentially (laughs) telling my behind the scenes of what i'm shooting Mm -hmm. the stories that i'm seeing the cars that i'm featuring all of that and it was kind of going hand in hand with just my normal workload of what people are hiring me for if if somebody's going to hire me for a cool shoot or a cool car i'm just gonna bring my vlog camera along and i'm just gonna at least tell people how i shot this car and you know the troubles that i went through to do it i took it everywhere when i went to lama i took my camera when i went to shoot whatever off-road race baja 1000 this that and the other i always brought a camera to at least tell the story of how i did it Mm -hmm. then so hoonigan looks at it and they're like it's so bad because it's essentially turned into Larry's channel. That's why they wanted me to branch off and have my own channel. Mm. So now we have our own channel and they have so many other channels for everybody. Right. Um, It's been such a crazy journey because I never, ever, ever intended to be what you call a minor internet celebrity. Right. Uh, Or, or (laughs) I never, I never intended to be in front of camera ever at all. In Mm -hmm. fact, I was always horrible in front of camera. I was just the worst. I didn't know what to do. But over the years, I've just trained myself and I've pushed harder and harder and harder as hard as I can to be better at telling stories, to be better at watching what I'm saying, to all of that. And part of that even comes from my rule of not turning down any podcasts or interviews. Mm -hmm. I just can't because... I take every single opportunity to practice, you know, of course there's a time limit issue, right? So I don't have much time. Mm -hmm. So I try to fit them in as much as I can. Um, But more and more recently, I've just been so swamped, which is good. Yeah. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. 
So let's go back to this career advice angle. First off, I just want to talk about this premise of the hustle. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of creative people, uh, I can count myself in there. It sounds like you were the same. Can be shy and quiet, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you how do you learn that that skill? Just to that you have to go out there and get the work. Or in your mind, if you're just so good at what you do, the work will just come to you. How important is it, hustle? It's um, it's th there's a couple notes on that that mm -hmm. I just have off the top of my head. If you're looking from the outside, looking into this industry, especially what we're doing, yeah, people think it's too saturated, right? Yeah, but that's where people are wrong. There is we all need so much help all the time. I need help now. I know you guys definitely need help. Mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, Hoonigan, Donut, all of the, everybody in our little group, we need help. These companies need help. Mm -hmm. There's so much to shoot. There's not enough people on the ground. And when I say not enough people, I mean not enough people that are talented and willing to make yeah. the sacrifices. Most of these people looking from the outside, looking in, they see the, the the cool projects that we get to do. They see all the cool shoots. Like recently, I did a shoot with you guys with Ryan Turks, Supra, right? Yeah. They see all the fun we have. They see me driving and doing camera car stuff. They don't see everything else that leads up to it, which is the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice. It's mm -hmm. essentially your life that you have to give to this. If you... <laughs> If you want to clock out and it's like nine to five, see you later, not going to pick up my phone, you're just not going to last. You're just, you're just not. There's just yeah. no way. Yeah. You know, you just cannot last because somebody like myself, somebody like you, Rod, everybody else on the RS team, they're putting in so much hours, so much soul, so much heart, and they're making so much sacrifice. They're, they're, they're sacrificing themselves for the greater good of the group. That sounds so, a little uh, a little frightening, doesn't it? It it is, <laughs> and that's that's why it scares a lot of people away. Yeah, that's why it's not bad to just get that nine to five job and then shut off after the fact. You know, it, yeah. that's that may be the right way for a lot of people, but if you are willing to push hard and push as hard, even harder than we do, mm -hmm. then you're more than welcome, you know, because there's plenty of work. I can't tell you, you know, luckily now, which is completely different than it was in 2020. Luckily now we have to turn down so much work because there is so much available. The appetite for content is more than ever, period. Yeah, it's an image-led world Definitely. And it's the way marketing no. is gone as well. So there's certainly a lot of projects. I kind of look at it that you just have to have utter and total commitment. Yes. You can't go halfway. You have to go all yeah. in. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen for you. You have to be willing to go that extra mile and then some. Um, I remember I was watching a documentary about the Beatles years ago and um, George Harrison was talking about how they sacrificed their nervous systems. <laughs> make the that band happen and uh, i like using that term like are you are you really ready to to go all in 
Um, I remember, yeah, once I, it's kind of a bit scary, but it's actually true. I remember once I was practically living out of my car, I was doing the couch tour, um, but I was just not going to give up. That was just not going to happen. I was going to going, no matter how many financial issues I had or how much I had to only eat macaroni and cheese because that's all I could Mm -hmm. afford or borrow money, borrow $5 from my mom to put a little bit of gas in my car, whatever it was. I was gonna keep going. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's definitely the hard truth with it. That there's that, and then the, there's the physical, the actual physical struggle, mm-hmm. uh, lack of sleep, um, physical pain from just pushing too hard, staying out too long, shooting too in the cold, in the heat. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've done heat stroke or close to heat stroke or just bodily injury. Um, just so much of that. And I think to myself, like how many other jobs are there where you have to endure all of this suffering, <laughs> legitimate suffering. Yeah. I mean, when I'm out there shooting, it's in the rain, it's cold or in the hail or snow or whatever. You're in the middle or of the desert. Yeah, or in the middle of the desert and it's so hot and there's sand everywhere in your eyes. It, it's um, it, it's actual physical suffering. I mean, what other job are you going to have that problem if you're uh, in an office building? No, yeah. not, not at all. If if you are even uncomfortable in any way, if you're if you're doing a nine to five job then I feel like there's something wrong. But the the untold amount of hours of suffering that I have to do, it, it's just part of it. And even traveling, the, the traveling, as you know, it sounds so glamorous, but it's, it's not at all. It's dangerous and it's, um, it's just, yeah, it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's, it's very hard to convey and especially on my channel, a lot of people like to complain. Mm. They like to say, hey, you know, why are you complaining so much? Um, why are you so, wh- why are you showing us this suffering? Because <laughs> it looks like you're having a lot of fun. Yeah. But I am having a lot of fun. But to get to that point, you know, it's so much suffering to get to there. Yeah. Well, it's almost sounds Buddhist of you. <laughs> it's true though uh, there's certainly many different creative practices not all of them are have this adventurer feeling um or the physicality of uh, shooting especially when you were doing more i say documentary style right where you're definitely out in the field which is definitely a big part of what you're doing well let's let's switch angles again here i'm curious if you can tell us a story or two about some of the hardest lessons that you've had to learn where you came out of it a better person, but you've made some mistakes and, um, and then you've had to improve, but what can we learn from things going a bit awry with Larry Chen's career? Mm. So much of what I've learned is how to be easy to work with, Mm -hmm. um, be personable, how to make friends. Um, there's, there's going to be a lot of unsavory characters that you meet over the course of your career. Yeah. 
as you know. Um, <laughs> the, the, there's just so much to, there's so much that comes with just learning how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And because the industry is so small, you have to be very careful. You, you can't rock the boat too much. Mm -hmm. And I just try to be Switzerland at all times when it comes to a lot of that kind of stuff. So yeah, the, the main thing really for me is to be easy to work with because if you burn a bridge or if you, even if it's somebody that's super unsavory, you never know that person could hold the key to your success later on. I, I just, I just see it time and time again. Uh, a lot of these people that are not so good for the industry, they get weeded out pretty quick naturally. Mm -hmm. So I just never, ever want to be in that position. Um, that's one big one. Uh, another one is, is just budgeting time. Even though I push so hard and I take on a lot of projects, I take on a lot of work, I'm learning more and more to learn how to say no and learn how to make sure the current projects that we have on are not suffering. That's mm -hmm. a really big one. If you just take on too much, then everything suffers and then you you could just drop the ball uh, and then that client or person or whomever may never ever hire you ever again. And that's really, really bad because first impressions, so important. And then you have to essentially keep it up from then for then just moving forward. You know, yeah. you, if you set a good impression, you always want to do your best. And that's, one of the things it's, it's really hard for me to let go. Uh, I have to kind of vet everything that we do, mm -hmm. but um, part of it is that, you know, it's my vision and it's my, it's, it's my goal to make sure we do as best as we can for these people that are willing to hire us. So what advice would you have to someone that's thinking of starting out in automotive photography? Um, I think um, really the best way to stand out is to be extraordinary and think outside the box. Um, it really is. I, I've seen so many people since I've started rise in ranks very mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's because they've got it. You know, they've got the talent. They've got the um drive they've got the knowledge and you know it's with a bit of luck in the right relationships um, i've seen a lot of people rise to the top but i've also i've seen a lot of people who try to get into it they just couldn't make it for whatever reason um you just can't give up really you just can't as soon as you give up that's when everything's gonna collapse in on yourself um but there's really no wrong way to do it or right way to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very good tool for photographers now to essentially have a, a open connection to every company. I, like we didn't have that. We didn't have social media back then. But yeah. now if you do something extraordinary, 
and people take notice and you can tag people and you can essentially command your army or you can command your followers to do your bidding it is so powerful uh and it just really rewards people like us who are the content creators there are so many people that want to create content and there's so many people that want to have a presence on social media but essentially i guess we're kind of cheating and that that's what we're out there to do mm-hmm. so yeah it, it's a lot easier but also there's a lot more noise so there's a give and take for sure well thanks larry um fantastic advice so let's look at what our final thought of the day should be. I always ask every guest on the Radical Strategies podcast what their radical strategy of the day is, what the final insight is that they want to give. In terms of strategy, um, so much of it has come down to um, what I always say to people when they ask me for one piece of, of, of advice. Mm-hmm. I just say, you have to shoot what you love. That's it. Mm. You, if, you, if you're shooting video, if you're shooting stills, it doesn't matter. Even if you're writing, you've got to just do something that you love. Because if you don't love it, then it's just going to be agony and you're just going to hate it so much. Mm. Um, it's what I love and it's what gets me through the day. That's just, it just doesn't feel like work it feels like i'm just going through my life my best life being driven by passion is so important if you just think to what we've said and we've talked about the difficulty of starting and and the level of work ethic and commitment needed to get a career going but beyond that just keep it running and hopefully be progressing um it's very helpful that you're very passionate about the subject because that will give you that extra boost of energy day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out to keep going when things get extra, extra tough. It's just like professional athletes. You see that most of them are, have given so much and have sacrificed so much mm-hmm. and maybe they don't make the best living but they don't care because it's what they love to do and they're whole as a person right yeah and of course there are those standout people and it's the, it's the same way with everything musicians you you see the the um performers actors actresses racing drivers yeah, racing drivers is a very, very good example. You have to be so extraordinary to become amazing. You have to be just so good. You know, our mutual friend, Bob Gittin Jr., he is a very good example of somebody who is naturally talented, loves cars, great driver, all of that, puts in his entire life, his all his being into becoming this brand and this great ambassador and this amazing racing driver and all of that, uh, you have to do that much and also be talented to get to that point. But, and then you see so many other people 
that we know, even in the Formula Drift field, who are content and happy, but they've just put just as much effort in. Mm -hmm. uh, and may, they maybe they didn't get it yet. Maybe they're not the most successful yet, but they will be if they keep pushing just as hard, if not harder. Yeah. That's very true. It's also, I think, very helpful to be able to look in the mirror sometimes and be able to take a, an assessment of yourself mm. and look at where you're succeeding, what's working, but also be able to honestly have a conversation with yourself and see what's not working and then make changes, which takes a certain viewpoint. I, I believe that that's hugely important. I remember talking about Vaughn. There certainly was moments where his on-track performance wasn't quite getting there. And he really worked at that. He, he got in a sports psychologist and he looked at the winning mindset and he started really training his mind. And then the, the performances followed, the championship wins followed, et cetera. Yeah. Well, thanks, Larry. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to chat and uh, quite inspiring. Yeah, I learned a, a bit about you that I didn't know before. Really? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, I love being able to work with the same people that I worked with way back when. When I, so there's so many people, you're just one of the people that I've encountered over this time. And mm -hmm. it's such a pleasure to be able to still do stuff with all of these people. It's kind of blows me away that essentially we're doing the same thing, but in a greater capacity. Yeah. Just because we've had more experience, we've had um, more time to kind of put towards our craft. Yeah, it's a beautiful journey and uh, there definitely will be more. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Okay. All well, right. Thanks, Larry. I'll All talk right. to you later. Okay. Bye-bye.